Should the Marlins look to make some upgrades at the catcher position this offseason? If so, how are they going to do it? Will Jacob Stallings will Jacob Stallings make it through arbitration? I'm not sure. Tons to get into and tons of ways the Marlins can go about this. Going to look at at least three trade ta- candidates. Also, one or two free agents. This is Locked on Marlins. You are Locked on Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked On Marlins. It's your daily Marlins podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up, of course, on X at Miami Marlins underscore UK. If you're watching, firstly, look at those new graphics. Got the X graphics going now, baby. Uh, but if you are listening on podcast form, uh, firstly, hello and welcome. It's Monday's episode. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe and leave a review. This is your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. Uh, like I mentioned, to those watching, there is a YouTube channel. You already know that. For those that are listening, head on over there and hit up Locked On Marlins via YouTube. If you do that, you will see and have the graphics to help you along, as well as some of my facial expressions. Feels like a a top selling point there. Guys, it's Monday, the 13th of November. Peter Bendix has met the media. Bruce Sherman has introduced Peter Bendix. However, we are not going to be talking about most of that today. Going to take a bit more time to dig out. I didn't actually see it. And so I need to go back, look, and digest what was said. So with that being said, We're going to talk about the catching position today. Why not? It feels like the right time to get the catching position rolling. And there's a few wrinkles to this one, guys. So we're going to talk about that on today's episode, thinking about who's currently there. Should they still be there? Equally, where else could the Marlins turn to either via trade or via free agency if they wish to go in a different direction this offseason? What isn't on the rundown, which I probably should have thought about, is what internal options exist for the Marlins as well. Um, I may I may try and do that on the fly. <laughs> we'll see how we get on. Um, but guys, this episode is sponsored by our good friends over at Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat over 50 infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That is J-A-S-E for Jace and jacemedical.com. All right, guys, I mentioned tons to get into here on today's Locked Marlins, all about the catching position. No Peter Bendix talk. We will cover that tomorrow and digest what was shared. However, the headline, just on that one, by the way, the, the term, the headline term I heard is culture. Peter Bendix talking about the culture. And uh, he's busy. He's a busy guy right now. A lot going on. Uh, I believe tomorrow is also the day when they have to consider Rule 5 protections. I need to... Double double check that. Um, so we'll probably spend a bit of time looking at that as well tomorrow. But this episode is all about catcher. Boy, oh boy. How are we feeling about catcher, guys? When I think about a position that the Marlins need to upgrade in via, this is via um, Marlins Twitter, by the way. A lot of people look straight to catcher. They talk about shortstop. There's loads of internal options at shortstop. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a future episode. But everyone points to catcher. Everyone was pointing at catcher last year when the Marlins were in the thick of it. Um, you know, it, uh, some of the comments from Kim, 
um, during like in, in the run up to the deadline, you could sense that if there was a deal to be done for the Marlins, the, they would have made a move, a catcher. But I, I think they felt that A, finding a deal during the year was tricky. And B, there was this kind of nervousness around you know, the impact that would have on the pitching staff, which I get. The offseason, completely different kettle of fish. So let's start with, with Jacob Stallings. I think that's the right place to start. And uh, let, me, let me quickly dig up Jacob Stallings' numbers here, uh, which, oh boy, oh boy, this, this may be painful. But Jacob Stallings, he's entering his final year of arbitration, and the Marlins have a decision to make on that one specifically with Stallings. Do they, uh, do they tender him a contract? Do they offer him an extension? Uh, not a multi-year extension. Um, but fundamentally, Jacob Stallings now, he's approaching 34. Um, his arbitration number is projected at around three and a half million. Um, it's fair to say it has not been it has not been the most successful period for Jacob Stallings. The defense has taken a step backwards. The stick, other than I think his debut, hasn't ever really shown up. And frankly, Sandy's gone for the year. And really with that, you have to assume that Jacob Stallings will also be gone. Three and a half million for a guy and, and the statistics and everything that Jacob Stallings put up. It's it's too high a number, firstly. And the production doesn't warrant it. And the value of the glove and the defense has disappeared. So for me, it's a no-brainer. Jacob Stallings will be... I mean, who knows? Who knows if he even makes it through tomorrow? Like, if there's decisions to be made on 40-man rosters and all sorts, does Stallings make it through tomorrow? I don't know. Probably. Are they looking for a trade partner maybe for Stallings? Maybe. Teams out there may be thinking, you know, the defense could be nice, backup catcher, you know, guy that has worked well with, like, Sandy Alcantara. You know, maybe they could find it. Listen, the Marlins managed to trade uh, Georgie Alfaro. They managed to make that happen. After, I mean, they were auditioning for every position in the outfield going. But in the end, they did manage to trade Georgie Alfaro. And so maybe they can with Jacob Stallings too. We'll wait to see on that one. But fundamentally, I think Stallings is going to be gone. What about Nick Fortes? I think that's the other question here is, like, where does Nick Fortes sit in this? And what's the Marlins level of, um, I guess, satisfaction and trust in Nick Fortes. What I would say with Nick Fortes specifically is the the defense has taken a massive step forward, a huge step forward, Nick Fortes. When I look at like Nick Fortes and Jacob Stallings now, I just, I, I look at them, I think Nick Fortes is clearly the, the better defensive catcher. His blocking, like you only have to look in that postseason game, right? Where he's starting, uh, Jesus Lazardo starting, He's, he was spiking everything wide. Like, it was just a bit of a wild outing in some ways from Lozado. And he was asking so much in Nick Fortes. Nick Fortes absolutely delivered. So, defensively, Fortes has absolutely ascended. So, that is absolutely one positive, you would say. The offense, though, it's definitely fair to say it's been a struggle. Um, you know, in, in 2022... You know, you thought you were looking at it thinking there's there's a stick here. There's a stick to work with. He obviously flashed onto the scene in, in 2021 in like a super small sample. I think he hit a home run on the final game of the year, if I remember correctly. 
Um, you know, 2022, like it was okay. Like you look OPS plus of 95 um, in, in 240 uh, plate appearances. Unfortunately, last year, the stick went just drastically backwards, it seems, a 52 OPS plus. So is that sustainable for the Marlins? And is that sustainable as a starting catcher? Many will probably think Nick Fortes and the way things have developed, particularly defensively, now he fits the profile and brief as a perfect backup catcher. It's Chad Wallach, but younger, kind of sexier looking, and with a bit more potential in the stick, frankly. I mean, yeah, Chad Wallach was a decent, decent defensive catcher, from my recollection anyway. So the reason this is important is because this then helps you to understand where do the Marlins need to go in terms of like tiers of catcher? If they're going to look to do something, are they actually looking for a full-blown starting catcher? The type of guy like, you know, that's playing like pretty much every day. Like the Marlins really kind of went half and half with time with Stallings and, and Fortes. Um, are they going to look to do something similar? Are they going to look to have one guy weighted more than the other? This all kind of plays into it. But really, Fortes, is he going to be catching two of every five days? Is that his role? Is it going to be one of every five days? Is it going to be, I don't know, five of every 10? Is it going to be true 50-50? So I think all of this does play into decision-making about which direction they go. Because if you're basically looking for a guy to like split time with Fortes, then really that takes you into a different type of value situation and a type of starter that you're going to look to acquire and the type of prospect capital potentially or money that you're looking to commit to those guys so a lot of this boils down to how the Marlins feel about Fortes and what role he will play if it's going to be half the time with Fortes then for me the Marlins just simply need to look and find someone adequate if that's the approach they want to take someone that's just serviceable as a defensive catcher the stick can play a bit etc etc and frankly there's not a ton of catching options available, really, that the Marlins are going to be able to acquire anyway. And so that's probably the way it's going to go, frankly. It's probably the way things are going to go. Stallings is going to be gone. Fortes will remain. And he will probably split time and quite a significant portion of time with whoever is brought in. The question is, is what are the best options for the Marlins to consider bringing in? I'm going to talk about that one straight after the ad break. Uh, there's a few trade options. And there's a few free agents Limited free agents, I would say. But, you know, from a trade perspective, I do think there's some interesting ideas there. So we will talk about that. Uh, but before we do that, let you know this episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Jace Medical. Yes, sir. And we spend a lot of time talking together. You and I, of course, it's a daily pod. We get fired up together on wins and losses. Who starts, who sits, which catches we go and get. I'm thankful for that connection we have. And today I want our chat to be a little bit more personal. I just learned that you can get a one-year supply on ED medications. Boy, oh boy, that's what we're all talking about. You, For a man who's almost 40, you realize what that means. Bring on extended travel. Bring on the next natural disaster or supply chain issue. You are covered, my friend. You don't have to worry about whether or not you can refill your generics for Viagra or Revatio. Is that the right way to pronounce that? I don't know. This, I'm not, I'm not certain. But anyway, it's possible because of our friends at Jace Medical. Go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12-month supply on your daily medication. To Remember to use that promo code, and that code is locked on at checkout for a discount as well. A verified customer had this to say about Jace. I am thankful for this service. 
Supply chain issues have caused me to cut pills in half to have it. I ordered most of my daily meds with a year supply. I also the antibiotic kit. I feel secure now. Prices are lower than local pharmacies. I highly recommend this for everyone. If you or someone you love would like to get some peace of mind by having a year supply of any daily med, then go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered for you. Remember to use the promo code, and that code is locked on for 20 bucks off your purchase. Welcome back here on Monday, the 13th of November, with me, Peter Pratt, solo pod on a Monday. Not sure why, but nevertheless, we're talking catching. We're talking the catcher position. And uh, just to bring you up to speed, if you've missed the first segment, which I'm not sure why you would have done, but nevertheless, first thing is, are the Marlins going to look to make a move here? And they, frankly, they have to make a move. Jacob Stallings cannot, cannot be extended uh, for three and a half or upwards of that number. The production uh, is just not there. It is not there, and they need to consider a different direction. What are they going to do with Nick Fortes? They're going to retain Nick Fortes. The defense is absolutely playing with Nick Fortes. The stick dipped sizably in 23. But if Nick if Nick can get that stick to dip upwards, that's the wrong way of phrasing it, but that would be a huge boost. So with that being said, what options exist by the trade market? The free agent pool is thin. There's one obvious name. We'll talk about him after. But I want to talk about trade options. I think... This offseason in general, most of the acquisitions and moves, I believe, will be trades. I think the Marlins will get ultra creative. I think Peter Bendix will get ultra creative. And frankly, I think there's, you know, everyone is up for discussion for the Marlins. I think that's how all the other clubs will be thinking about it too. Thinking, okay, we've got an X-Rays guy in. They're not afraid to do anything, frankly. So... Let's let's start the conversation. So I think Peter Benz, ben, Bendix's phone will be one of the hottest phones of all the GMs or president of the baseball ops or whatever role they have, whoever's making decisions on 40-man, big league rosters, et cetera, et cetera. Peter Bendix, his number is going to be hot, in my opinion. So where are they going to go from a trade perspective? There's a couple of, there's, you know, there's some big names out there, and we're not going to talk about them. <laughs> We're going to talk about some names that aren't sexy because I don't think the Marlins, frankly, are going to look to invest a huge amount in the catching position. They have a lot of holes to fill. And so they need to, I think, cover the catching position in a way that uses limited amounts of capital, both trade capital and, well, real capital in terms of um, budget and payroll spend. So when you start to think of it through that lens, that really shrinks the options you have available. So the first guy I wanted to call out um, as as an option is is a Washington national. And it's not Kbert Ruiz. Kbert Ruiz, as you know, has been, uh, I say, as you know, you may not have known, but he signed a massive extension with the Nats. The Nats have heavily committed to Kbert Ruiz and see him as their catcher of the future um, and the long term. His production last year was a touch underwhelming, to be fair, um, Kbert Ruiz. But they've committed to, to him. And so you then look at what else have they got around in the organization that could be interesting. And for sure, a guy that like popped out was Riley Adams. Who? Who, you say? Absolutely. I don't think I'd ever heard of Riley Adams before I looked him up today. So 
Why Riley Adams? That's the question. There's a couple of things to think about here. Four years of control on Riley Adams. He's still pre-arb, so that's good. He's in his kind of late 20s, mid to late 20s. I think he's 28. So, you know, it's been a, probably a long road for him. When you look at what happened last year and what he what he delivered in terms of production, he was very productive in terms of he produced one war in just 120, no, 143 at-bats. 143 at-bats for one war. It was good for 120 OPS plus, baby. I mean, if that, I can hear Sean, Sean Barrett already saying to me, Pete, that's a small sample. It is a small sample. It is a small sample on Riley Adams there. But I do think that is a very intriguing situation there. Multiple years of control. And effectively, the, the Nats have already committed to Kbert Ruiz. They're a rebuilding club. Maybe they would see value in a, a guy with a similar amount of control that could contribute in a different position, whatever that could look like. Could that be like an outfielder? Could the Marlins maybe look to go for Peyton Burdick, for example? A Peyton Burdick for Riley Adams. you got all those years of control with Peyton Burdick. You know, does his profile translate to the major league level? To be confirmed. But Riley Adams, like really, you know, he's he's not any, you know, it's not a proven commodity. And frankly, the Nats aren't looking to use him in any kind of major role. Thus, in my opinion, he could be movable. They did have um, Drew Mills came up as well. I think when Riley Adams went down injured, so you had Drew Mills came up, looked okay as well in 2023, looked pretty productive. They've also got a catcher on their kind of top 30 prospect list. I noticed. Um, his name is Israel Pineda. He looks to be, from an age perspective, and has had a cup of coffee at the big league level, he looks to be like relatively near major league ready. And so from an organization and a, a depth perspective, you you start to think, you know, Riley Adams could be movable. What's he like? I don't really know. Have I ever seen him? No. But I'm looking through the lens of, Who's shown a degree of production recently? Who's got multiple years of control and who is cheap and who is effectively blocked in the organization? Riley Adams ticks absolutely every one of those boxes. For me, the Marlins don't really need to look any further. They found exactly the right profile in Riley Adams. So a name that I'm not familiar with by any stretch. For those that are, please let me know your thoughts. I have no idea. But for me, years, you know, the multi-years of control, the age, the small sample size production, and the fact that he is movable, for me, says the Marlins could and should make that call. And equally, I think that there's a way that they could maybe, you know, move some of their depth 40-man pieces as well in some sort of deal here. This would be a relatively minor deal. And again, this kind of pertains to, like, could Riley Adams and Nick Fortes split time? And would that be more productive than Jacob Stallings? Frankly, if you put me back there, it'd be more productive than Jacob Stallings' last year. And actually, Nick Fortez's stick was not much better, to be honest with you. Nick Fortez's defense was good, Stallings less so. Um, so there you go. One potential name that is absolutely not going to blow anyone away. I'm really intrigued for those that are listening now. Is this the first time you've heard the name Riley Adams? If so, I have done my job really well. And you're coming away going, hmm, never heard of him, but actually... I kind of like the idea. <laughs> Let me know what you think. Or you have heard of him. You've seen him play. And actually, he's absolutely turgid.
I don't know. Either way, let me know. Okay. Let's move away from Riley Adams. By the way, he is absolutely, he's my number one at this point. <laughs> this kind of shows what the catcher position is like um, right now. I would say, you know, the Blue Jays, I think, are interesting. We've spoken about Blue Jays and catching situations for a while. So I just wanted to call out that, like, Danny Jansen's going into the final year of his deal. Um, you know, what that means, I don't know. But Danny Jansen had a really good year behind you know, from a, a hitting perspective last year. Do the Marlins really want to take on a rental catcher? I don't know. Frankly, I don't know. But I would say that is an interesting one. If they aren't looking for rentals, another name and another situation, that, and there's a, there's a few wrinkles to this one, so please bear with me. But another situation I want to talk about is the Angels catching situation. The Angels traded for Logan O'Hoppy uh, last, last year. He came up last year. Either way, Logan Hobby came up and he emerged for the Angels. Looked really good. Um, I got some some friends that are Angels fans, UK friends, uh, and they were just saying that Pete is a stud. He's a stud. He got hurt, um, but is a stud. So I do wonder with Logan Hobby emerging now, what that puts the status at for Max Stassi. And there's again a few wrinkles here, and for those that aren't aware of the situation with Max Stassi, and you may not be. He didn't play at all in 2023, Max Stassi. He started the year on the injured list with some sort of hip-related issue, but actually ended up um, on the restricted list linked to family medical issues and a real sad story associated with his with his baby boy. So, you know, I'm not sure where Max Stassi, his head is at in general. I don't know of his intentions moving forwards. So I'm going to... I'm going to assume that Max Stassi wants to come back and play baseball in 2024. And if he does, the Angels at this point hold two years of club control on him from a uh, a relatively recent extension, um, I think heading into the 2023 season. The club control includes $7 million in 2024 and 7.5 as a as a team option in 2025. Sounds a lot for the Marlins, frankly. Um, particularly you know, with a few unknowns associated with his, his the year in 2023 and where he's just at mentally. And we could absolutely understand that. In terms of Max Stassi, it's a name that I've been more familiar with than others, I would say, in terms of um, the catching position and particularly West Coast guys. And when I think, and I think back of, to Max Stassi, I, you know, this 2020 season where he had an absolutely stunning 2020 um, with a 138 OPS plus. Granted, it's a small sample size, right? In 2021, uh, he also ended the year with a 103 OPS plus. It included 13 home runs, uh, included, I think, an extension as well going into that year. In 2022, it was not good. He dipped um, sizably with a 62 OPS plus. Uh, not good in 2022. So there's a few things in play here. The Angels have acquired and traded for Ohapi. They like him. He's performing. He's cheap. And he may well be the option moving forward. Max Stassi dealing with a ton of off-the-field stuff, not sure of his status moving forwards. But if he does look to return, the Angels may look to shake things up. I do wonder if his two years um, could be movable from the Angels as they maybe look to cut some payroll in some sort of way. It's possible. Do the Marlins want to take on 7 million and 7.5 million, effectively 14.5 mil over two years uh, for a catcher? Well. 
if they had the 2020 or 2021 versions, then the answer would be yes. Um, but if they had the 2022 version, the answer would be no. It's a big risk, this one. It's a big risk for a number of reasons. And with that being said, my gut feel here is that the Marlins and Angels don't look to do a deal. I also wonder whether the Angels... Well, I also wonder what Stasi's status is moving forward, but I do wonder, like, from an Angels perspective, whether they just look to keep Stasi within the organization anyway um, as he looks to kind of go through a comeback mentally, I guess, so more than anything. So he ticks the box in a few ways. Um, the cost is higher. The control is less. There is there is a history of production, um, one that hasn't been in the most recent year or two. So for me, you know, he's an option, but probably, like, again, like, what's the return going to be like? You know, from, like, what are the Angels going to be looking for? Like, it's a relatively low-cost option from a Marlins perspective, from a trade capital perspective anyway, in my opinion. Okay, another interesting name, and it is a name, but one that I was, I actually missed this at the time. I was surprised about it in some ways, but again, there's connections here, and it's Francisco Mejia, who, for those listening in, everyone's listening in because uh, it's a podcast, but you know what I'm saying. As you're listening into this, you're going, Oh, yeah, I remember him. He was the guy who traded from the Padres to the Rays. He's been with the Rays for a while. Ah, oh, Peter Peter, Men, Peter Bendix is uh, from the Rays. Oh, okay, okay. I'm starting to piece this together. Right, okay. Um, well, Mejia has just been recently waived. He cleared waivers and was then outrighted and accepted an outrighting um, to, to AAA. So the Marlins could have already claimed Mejia. Mejia? Mejia. I think it's Mejia. They could have already claimed him and, and picked him up for free, and they would have claimed that and included then his arbitration year um, for 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 2024, final arb year, by the way, on that one. So he's going to be 28 going into the year, and so you know he's relatively still relatively young, Mejia. And I, I look at this one and think, I do wonder if this could be a really interesting fit, where clearly they've just waived him, and so like there's pretty limited amount of trade value that's attributed to him um you know i don't know what the future holds just in general but he has accepted um you know being outrighted to triple a so you know the rays have got all they've always got a roster crunch clearly but i do wonder if this is like a real low cost option maybe um let me just see like his production has been trending downwards i just flicked off the screen so give me two secs i'm just going to dig it up um and see where, like, what his peak was. <laughs> if there was a peak, um, I'm not sure there was, to be honest. Look, so I mean, he's he's got a career 2.2 WAR, so that's interesting. He's got a career 88 OPS plus um, in just over a thousand at bats. Doesn't it for a, a huge amount of average or power, really? Uh, one stolen bag in his career, so that's interesting, but. Yeah, when I when I look at like recent seasons, you know, he's been hovering around like in 2021, OPS plus of 107. In 2022, that's 300 at-bats worth. Sorry, 300 plate appearances worth. That was an 86 OPS plus. You know, lim more limited playing time in, in 23, but still an 80 OPS plus. These are all much better than Fortes and Stallings. And so even if you're not inspired by this Francisco Mejia option 
trade option. It's it's still probably an upgrade. No, not probably. It is an upgrade over both of the current Marlins catches, both Stallings and, and Fortes. So, I mean, there's some knowledge there from, from Bendix. You know, he knows he knows Mejia pretty closely. I, I, he's the guy, I guess, who just waved him. I, I don't know the timeline on this, but maybe it was Bendix's call. Maybe Bendix has done this um, knowing that he's moving elsewhere. I doubt it, but and, uh, anyway. But he went unclaimed. That's, again, another indicator um, on, on maybe how, how likely or not this one is. But I look at this and think cheap, some form of production, and you know some familiarity there. I could see this happening. And again, low cost. Like the Marlins, you send like an absolute flyer spec. Probably the race tournament was stud, but like these are all low cost situations. And the reason they're all low cost is the Marlins have got loads of other holes to fill. I don't think they've got the ammo and clubs, I don't think, have the desire to sell the top studs. So you're effectively dealing with like tier B, tier C, tier D guys right now. And thus the cost is low. Are you going to go and get Mitch Garver in free agency? No, the Marlins aren't going to get Mitch Garver. Why? Because he's going to be commanding too much money. And I said on Twitter as well earlier on, I don't want the Marlins going anywhere near multi-year deals, two, three, four-year deals with like 10 plus million per annum, any kind of silly deal like that. They get burned way too often. They have to overpay to get the guy to come in the market that's undesirable, blah, blah, blah. But the track record of that recently has been turgid. Let's go away from that. One-year deals to piece and plug holes, fine. No problem with that. But Mitch Garver is not going to be that guy. The Marlins are not going to even be in the running for Mitch Garver. I can tell you right now, the rest of the free agent pool is pretty limited. But some of the names and some of the options are kind of similar to the ones we've talked about here. But, you know, I think from a Marlins perspective, there can be some deals to be made here. And if they make the right deal and they pair it with Fortes, you maybe end up with like an ultra cheap catching situation that can be, I mean, league average is probably a stretch. But I think there's some development to come from Fortes. I think there's something in there still. He's shown it defensively. It's just that the offense took a step back while the defense took a step forward. But I do wonder, maybe Stallings isn't around, new guy in, Stall, you know, Fortes kind of emerges and grows into the role. It's possible. But when I look at the actual, you know, when I look at those, those ideas, those suggestions in terms of trade options, Riley Adams, four years of control, one war in just 143 at-bats, 120 OPS plus, small sample size, I know. But small sample size, control, age, a team that probably could trade him because they got depth. They've committed to Kbert Ruiz. Guys, I think I've found him. Riley Adams. Marlins for Peyton Burdick, probably before spring training. Let's see it happen. I'm speaking into the universe right now. Riley Adams and Nick Fortes are your catchers for 2024. Is that exciting you? Probably not. <laughs> but. The Marlins have other spots where they need to excite us as fans. They need to think about shortstop. We need to think about the outfield. We need to think about the DH spot. That's where I want the Marlins to excite me. I'm happy with boring, safe, and cheap at the catching spot. Thanks for joining me on Locked on Marlins and making it first lesson of the day, of course, guys. I'll be back tomorrow digging into this Peter Bendix 
presser and also looking ahead to the Rule 5 protection roster moves as we start to get into the thick of the offseason. Look forward to seeing you then.